Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. Well, I want to invite you this morning to turn to the book of 2 John. Uh, if you're new, let me catch you up real quick. We've been working through this book of the Bible. It's our habit as a church uh, to walk through books of the Bible verse by verse. Uh, this prevents me from hobby-horsing the Bible. This makes me say things and talk about things that I wouldn't have been smart enough to think about or talk about in the first place. And so we're just letting the text guide us. And we're in this passage in the back end of uh, 1 John chapter number 2 that really is, is a kind of complicated passage. There's a lot there. We covered half of it last week. And here's the, the simple version of the passage is that John comes into the book and he says, I really want you uh, to be sure and certain and confident as Christians. I don't want you uh, to have your life be on jello and be unstable all the time. I want you to know that you know God. I want you to know that you have eternal life. I want you to know that heaven is real and it's your home. I want you to know that God hears and answers your prayers. I want you to know that the devil and sin ultimately cannot have you. I want you to be confident. And so he begins to give the Christians these, these tests on, I can be confident if this is true of me. And he gives these uh, social tests on how they would love. He gives these moral tests on how they would live. And he gives these doctrinal tests on what they would believe. There's behavior and belief both going on. This passage of Scripture is more or less a doctrinal test. There's a lot contained in there. But this is at its core a doctrinal test where he says, look, there are lines of demarcation and division that you have to believe this. It's, it's the bare minimum <laughs> that you have to believe to be a Christian. Last week we looked at those who do not believe because this text is it, it's cyclical. It goes back and forth and it says there are these people that don't believe. John calls them antichrist. I know that's strong language. But are the people that are against Jesus or their message is actually not in line with Jesus, it's anti-Jesus. And then there are the Christians. So last week we examined the Antichrist, what they would look like, what their message would be. This week we're going to look at the Christians. So I want to read it together. I will warn you up front, I am backing up a Bible dump truck today, and I'm going to unload it on you. So we have lots of Bible we're going to read, lots of Bible we're going to cover. I think that's okay in a church setting, so we're going to look at a lot of it, but you're going to have to read with me, you're going to have to think with me, but it'll be worth it when it's all said and done. So look with me if you would. In 1 John chapter 2, we're going to read verses 18 through 27 to get us started. This is the core of what we want to cover here. Verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. But even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. 
Because whosoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, and ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father, and this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Verse 27. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, skip over to chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to read the first three verses of chapter 4. Same sort of concept. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses or agrees with that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Now, John, through the course of this book already, has been prone to give us these stark contrasts. He's told us about light and darkness. He's told us about death and life. He's told us about hatred and love or the world and God. And now he tells us about truth and lies or antichrist and Christians. And he's, he's purposely trying to compare and contrast these two groups and we'll try our best to examine the profile of a Christian and get the verses out of here that apply to Christians. So first of all, this morning... A Christian is someone who belongs to a community with doctrinal guardrails. He mentions in verse number 19 that there were these people that went out from us. They weren't of us. They left us because they weren't of us. If they were of us, they would have remained with us. What is all this us that he's talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about this group of Christians that have come together. This group of Christians that are together. And not just anybody is welcome to be a part of the group. But there actually are these doctrinal guardrails and there are these, these certain people that are leaving the group because of doctrinal differences. They cannot agree on specific points of theology and it is a clear line of division. It is a guardrail that is separating out those that truly are Christian and those that truly are not. Now, before I go any further, let me say Anyone is welcome to visit our church. Anyone is welcome to come. Anyone is welcome to be skeptical, to have questions, to want to grab a cup of coffee with the pastor. Questions are welcomed and good. That is always permissible. But when we're talking about who actually makes up the church, who is a member of the church, who is a part of Harvest Baptist Church that says, this is my home and this is my family, that family, and we can't we can't always get this perfect, but we try as best we can to make sure that every single person who is a part of the family has what 1 John 2 lays out here and that there are these core tenets of Christianity that have to be believed and adhered to. And if one does not adhere and believe to those core tenets of Christianity, then you are welcome to attend and ask questions, but you are not actually a part of the, the body, a part of the fabric of the church, because the church is made up of a community of believers, people who believe certain things. 
And while we can argue the finer points of theology, and, and there are certain things, we talked about it last week, that are state borders that we can argue about and disagree about. There are national borders that exist that we cannot be unified and we cannot come together if we disagree on them. And one of these we saw last week was Christology. It was the doctrine of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What has he done? Specifically, John mentions that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one, the appointed one. That's what Christ means. It's, it's not his name. It's a title that he was sent from God. And then he mentions in chapter 4, and he also mentions in Second John, in his second epistle, that Jesus came in the flesh, the incarnation. God dwelt with us, that, that God took on flesh, that you can't say that Jesus was not God in the flesh and still be Christian. You can't say that Jesus was not the Christ and appointed and sent by God and still be Christian. That makes up part of the community. So understand, Christians are people that are first of all meant to be a part of a church, okay? Now I understand. I understand church hurt is a real thing. I understand that spiritual abuse exists. I get it. But that does not, if you've experienced church hurt or if you've experienced even a version of spiritual abuse, that does not give someone a hall pass or an excuse to not be a part of a church period and just have a lone ranger version of Christianity. God never intended it to be that way. You need accountability. You need guidance. You need encouragement. You need believers around you. You need us, right? There needs to be a community. That community has doctrinal guardrails, but there should be a church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church, gave himself for the church, established the church, said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it would make sense. Well, if Jesus loves the church and is committed to the church, then I as his follower might, maybe, could be committed to the church and love the church, right? Now, is any church perfect, yes or no? Nope. No. A church is made up of imperfect people and imperfect pastors, I might add not perfect. You're never going to find the place where, where there's no drama and there's, and, there's, and there's no hurt at all and no one ever ticks you off. And that, that's never going to exist. But the church is the body of believers that should assemble, that should come together. The local church, even Harvest Baptist Church, is a local church that is important, that is not to be dismissed or, or done away with or, you know what, I'll just bounce around from church to church. You know, I'll go here and then I'll go there and then I'll go there and I'll just do a tour. You know, every month I'll just do a cycle and do a tour. You should belong to a church. You should be a part of one. And, and a real church will have doctrinal guardrails. A real church will actually have distinctives. We'll have a core set of beliefs. They say, this is important. We cannot disagree on this and still be together. And it's interesting what John does here through his book. If you look at the first half of, of 1 John 2, he says, look, don't tell me that you're orthodox and that you have all these beliefs, but you don't live like a Christian. Your character isn't growing. You don't love people. I don't care what you believe. If you don't love people and your character is not growing, don't tell me you're a Christian, right? But now he flips the coin and says, okay, you, you can love people all you want, and you may even have a growing character, and you can try to be a good person and, and moral all you want, but don't tell me you're a good person and you love people, but that you don't believe this and that you're a Christian. No, it's both. It's how you behave and how you believe. You have to have both of those in concert with each other. And honestly, there are a lot of churches today, and this is not new, but it's especially prevalent today, that struggle with this, that struggle with just saying there are clear 
tier one doctrines, essential truth claims of Christianity that we cannot disagree on and still be Christian. There are a lot of seminaries that will not do this, who will act like, well, let's just love each other, let's just get along, isn't that what Jesus wanted after all, that's what's most important, and I'm for loving people, I'm for being kind, I'm for being generous, I'm for you being a do-gooder, don't misunderstand me, but that can't be at the expense of truth, because John says there's truth and lies, and you have to adhere to this truth to be Christian. There are a lot of churches that say, you know what, all the miraculous stuff that's in the Bible, including that Jesus would somehow atone for our sins, including a resurrection from the dead, literally, you know what, throw that all to the side. You know, Jesus, he came, and he was a, he was a great example. Uh, he had a God consciousness, and, and we should look to him, and we should follow him, and we will call ourselves Christians. Listen, that's not a liberal form of Christianity. That's not Christian, Period. You can't just make Jesus a guy who taught some good stuff and had some God consciousness, but the miraculous doesn't exist, and there wasn't a virgin birth, and he wasn't God in the flesh, and, and he didn't atone for his sins actually. That was just an example of, of sacrificial love, and he didn't raise from the dead, and he didn't ascend, ascend to heaven, and that, that doesn't exist, but I'm still Christian. No. Christians believe that. Christians teach that. Jesus did it. Jesus taught it. His apostles taught it. And you can't make your own version of Christianity. And there are a lot of people who would love to edit the truth or compromise on major truth claims in the name of inclusion, which is not okay. Am I saying go to war with people? So don't mishear me. I'm not saying be a Christian, draw your lines in the sand, and don't be okay with religious freedom wage holy war. I'm not saying that. But there has to be churches that will say, this is what makes up a church. you got to believe this to be a Christian. Period. And if you don't, then you're not Christian. Period. And this is what John is saying. He's saying that there are core truth claims concerning Jesus. And you, you cannot negotiate those. And in really in some ways what he's saying is that truth is more important than community. Community is, is vitally important, vitally important, but they're willing to get those out of the community who do not have the same truth in an effort to preserve the truth. Truth is more important than community. The idea of, well, let's just have community and let's just bumper sticker coexist where everyone, you know, it's all inclusive and it's fine and your faith is just as valid as my faith and it's all good and it's all the same and I have my truth and you have your truth and, and even though they utterly contradict each other, they're both true and, and we'll, just, we'll just act like they're, they're both the same and, and they're both equal and, and we'll just sing kumbaya. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can have a social club that way, but you can have a church that way. And I know that this is completely anti-cultural. I understand. <laughs> I understand that this is exclusive. There are a lot of people who will say, I don't like that. It's too exclusive. And my question would be, all right, what's your alternative? I'm telling you straight up what Jesus said. You cannot know God. You cannot go to heaven. You cannot have right standing with God. You cannot have your sins forgiven unless you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Christ. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. You must believe on him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You say, that's really exclusive. I know. 
What do you got? If you believe in heaven, what's your alternative? I know there are those that are secular and, well, I don't believe in God and heaven and none, none of the rest of it. I think it's all a bunch of hogwash. I get that. But if, if, what's your alternative? Well, I think there is a heaven. I think everyone will go. Everyone? Hitler too? He going to be there? Well, no, 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 not Hitler. I mean, like, all the good people are going to go. All right, good. Um, who are the good people? Where, where's the line in the sand? Where's good? Is good based off of what my wife says about me? Is good based off of if I have a felony or not? Is good, where's, where is the line? And if you're saying the good people go, you just excluded me. Because Christianity teaches me that I'm actually not good. I'm so not good that I need Jesus to die for me. Even my righteousness doesn't stand a chance of earning me standing with God or heaven. And I even confess my righteousness as, as wrong and say, look, I got nothing. Jesus, I need you because I'm not good. So if you're telling me the good people go, you just excluded me, right? If you're mad at me for excluding you, you just excluded me. It cuts both ways. You cannot, you cannot have a religion that isn't exclusive to some degree. And Christianity says this is exclusive. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must confess. You must agree with him on who he is and, and what he did. You have to believe. About 120 years or so ago, one of the most famous preachers of that era was a man by the name of Andrew Murray. Some of you may have read Andrew Murray, Murray's books on prayer which are still prolific. He was a South African pastor, and at about age 70, he was conducting a series of revivals in South Africa. And there was a particular South African lawyer, an Indian man, who was invited to come hear Andrew Murray preach. His friend was uh, Mr. Bailey who invited him, and the South African lawyer was not very well known at that point in time, but his name was Mahatma Gandhi. And although Gandhi would come to be famous years later, at this point in time, he was just a young man who attended a series of revivals. And Gandhi, later on in life, reflected back on him sitting and listening to the preaching of Andrew Murray. And here's what Gandhi wrote. He said, this convention was an assemblage of devout Christians. I was delighted at their faith. I met the Reverend Murray. I saw that many were praying for me, and I liked some of their hymns. They were very sweet. However, it was more than I could believe that Jesus was the only incarnate Son of God and that only he who believed on him would have everlasting life. If God could have a son, then all of us could be his sons. If Jesus was like God or God himself, then all men were like God or could be God himself. My reason was not ready to believe that literally Jesus by his death and by his blood redeemed the sins of the world metaphorically there might be some truth in it i could accept jesus as a martyr an embodiment of sacrifice a divine teacher but not as the most perfect man ever born his death on the cross was a great example to the world but that there was anything like mysterious or miraculous virtue in it my heart could not accept gandhi had the intellectual honesty to say i don't believe that therefore i'm not a christian now, we could look at some of Gandhi's teachings and some of his works, and I wouldn't reject a lot of them. There's a lot of good that came out of his life. But he wasn't a Christian, and he knew it. Why? Because he could not accept who Jesus was and what Jesus did. He heard it, but he could not or would not come to believe it. 
And one has to believe that Jesus is the Christ. One has to have, I mean, he had a clear doctrinal understanding. I, I give Gandhi credit there. That he was the most perfect man. He lived a perfect life. That he was God in the flesh. That he died and atoned for our sins. That this was miraculous. He understood it. But you have to believe it in order to be Christian. Secondly, and this is the thing I really want to press home to you this morning. Christians are people that have soft hearts, but they do not have soft heads. 1 John 4 says, and I'm going to reread it. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, it's interesting that 1 John 2 and 1 John 4, where these teachings fall. Because they both fall right next to teaching on love. And it's almost as if John could anticipate maybe what someone would do. That he teaches love, love, love. And that perhaps someone would say, okay, we love, so there really are no borders. And we never take a, a hard stand. And we never say that truth is truth. And right is right and wrong is wrong. Or that's a lie. And he says, I, I want you to understand have a soft heart. Love each other. That is Christian. Open up your hands. Share your goods. Love the world. Be kind. Don't be in someone's face and, and just abusive and, and, and nasty and vitriol coming from you. That should not take place. And it has taken place in Christians before. It has and it shouldn't. But at the same time, truth is truth. Don't allow your heart of compassion and love to move you away from the truth and refuse to say that Jesus came and that Jesus was God in the flesh and that Jesus died for our sins and that he was the Christ. Now, we as Christians, we, we dub ourselves believers, right? And unbelief, generally speaking, is, is viewed as a bad thing. And rightfully so, the scriptures will say that the unbelievers will be condemned. But there is a version of unbelief that is a good thing. Because John starts, 1 John 4, and he says, Beloved, believe not. Just because we are believers does not believe, mean we believe everything, right? It does not mean that we put our brain on a shelf and we just accept anything that has the name Christian or the name Jesus or the name God attached to it. We have soft hearts, yes, but we do not have soft heads. And he says, I don't want you to believe everything, I want you, chapter 2, be aware of those that will seduce you. And I want you to try the spirits. Spirit, not talking about angels and demons, but talking about those who go out into the world to teach. I want you to examine them. I want you to prove them. I want you to try them. I want you to put them on trial of sorts. I want you to look at them closely and intently. Why? Because there are many false teachers, because there are many people that will lead you astray, because they want to seduce you, because their doctrine isn't right. You have to examine this. And the question that I wrestled with all last week and all this week was, okay, how do I examine them? I got a little bit. You told me that there's some doctrinal, some core tenets of belief here. But how do I examine someone? How do I turn on Word FM and figure out if that person is telling me the truth or not? My, my buddy who's a Christian gave me a book. Is it a good one? I don't know the author. Who's this name? What do they believe? How do I know this is a good one for me? Okay, that, that group, they put out this song. And that song, I like that song. That song was good. That, that song was doctrinally correct. But... Look at the whole. Is, there, is, is all of it doctrinally correct? Is, where do they line up? Where are they at? How do I do this? How do I try the spirits? Now, there's a lot of answers to that, but I'm going to give you the, the five, I think, most prolific answers in the Bible. And as a Christian, you put your brain in gear, and you try the spirits 
by looking at these five things and asking yourself, is this person a false teacher or not? Is this person a wolf in sheep's clothing or not? Is this person trying to seduce me or not? Here are the five things that you look at. First of all, examine their purposes. Second Peter talks about false prophets and false teachers that are among the people. And he says that they will privily or secretly bring in damnable heresies and they will deny the Lord that bought them. He says many people will follow, he calls them their pernicious ways. And here's what he says about these false teachers. Uh, verse 3 of 2 Peter 2. Through covetousness, they shall with feigned or fake words make merchandise of you. Now what is Peter saying? He's saying one of the ways you can identify a false prophet is because they will have slick talk that ultimately is rooted in their covetousness and they are, it's a money grab. They are trying to get money out of you. They are trying to make merchandise of gullible people. That is their purpose and that is their intention is they're trying to exploit people. And they're using Jesus or they're using the Bible or they're using their radio or their TV program as a means to do so. Now, I am well aware that I am telling you this at the very end of our capital campaign, okay? It is not lost on me, I promise you, okay? I want you to know I haven't said this. I don't have a commission from the capital campaign. I don't have like a pay raise associated with it. I don't, none of that's there, okay? This is for us to give sacrificially for the good of our church. I, let's just make that clear. But be weary of people who will teach you about Jesus and do this and this, and all of a sudden, then there's a money hook. Now, should you be generous? Yes, and I'll teach you that. Is, is giving, is tithing even a biblical principle? Yes, and I will teach you that. But be very careful about, oh, I prayed over this handkerchief. I will mail it to you for $10, and it will give you the healing power that you really need. That's a sham, okay? It's a sham. That is a wolf in sheep's clothing who is trying to make money off of you. Am I saying you can never give to a program, you can never give to someone? No, not at all. Be generous. But be careful who you give to. Ask yourself, is this constantly about money? Is, is there always a money angle? Is there always give, give, want, want, get, get? Beware. Look at, look at their purposes. Why are they trying to teach you? Secondly, examine their principles. Jude chapter 1 says there are certain men that have crept in unawares or they have crept in secretly who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They are ungodly men, and listen to this, they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's a big word. It means immorality. It means there are ungodly men or wolf in sheep's clothing who want to teach you, and what they will do, they will take the grace of God, which is real and potent and awesome. The grace of God is so big that it can forgive the slave trader John Newton, who we just sang about, and can, and can put all of that under the blood and can forgive all of those sins, as heinous as they would be, that the grace of God is amazing. But when someone tells you, well, the grace of God will do this, so it's no big deal, go ahead and sin, no, 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 no. Those that love him, keep his commandments. Those that are born of God, keep his commandments. You don't use the grace of God as a hall pass to go keep on sinning in your life and just throw, it, you know, throw grace on top of it and act like it's not a big deal. Those that do that, look at their principles, look at their lives, and if they're trying to do that, don't trust them. Don't trust them with your money and don't trust them with your daughters. Don't allow them influence in your life. Don't allow them influence in your family. 
Thirdly, you look at their process. Jude and Peter, both, we just read this, and you may have missed it. Jude says they crept in unawares, or they picked the lock at midnight and snuck in the back door. Second uh, Peter says they, they privily bring damnable heresies, or they secretly bring damnable heresies. And something that is a telltale sign of those who have false doctrine is they will do their best to make it as subtle as possible. Satan is the master of lies, and if he can get you to buy a lie, he will not do it in an overt way. He will do it in a very covert way, and he will get that lie to look as close to the truth as possible. And he knows he would rather you buy the lie than he would do the sin. Because if you buy the lie, you'll do the sin, right? If you sow a thought, you'll reap a deed. If you sow a deed, you'll reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you'll reap a character. If you sow a character, you'll reap a destiny. It all starts with a thought. And if he can get you to buy that lie, he will, but he'll make it as close to the truth as possible. And what the Bible says over and over again, even uh, 1 John 2 says they try to seduce you. They're trying to be very subtle and very crafty. They're, They're trying to get it out of you, and they're trying to use you, but they will be very sneaky about it. So beware of those who want to make merchandise of you monetarily. Beware of those who want to make merchandise of you politically. We're about to hit midterms. It is very common for people to slap the Christian badge across their chest so that they can have the Christian vote. If you want to vote for someone, vote for them on their policies, all those sorts of things. But if you're voting them strictly, strictly because they're a Christian, at least examine if they are a Christian or not. Because there are a lot of people who just want to make merchandise of you in that way, right? And they'll do it very subtly and they'll say that, oh, I love the Bible or I grew up in church or this or that or the other. But they can't give a clear profession of faith. They can't give a clear testimony of who Jesus is or what he's done for them. They can't. Be careful of that. Be careful of people who want to secretly talk to you about the secret. I don't tell everybody this. We're going to have a Bible study at my house, just the three of us. The Lord's really been showing me some things. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit, not everyone agrees with this, but the Holy Spirit's really revealed it to me. And I just, I, just wanted to let, I just wanted to let you know, you three, and then you four, and then you five. Are in-home Bible studies bad? No, but be careful. If it can't be out in the open, if it can't be public, if it can't be made known, this is what it is, and this is what I believe, then there's a problem. It doesn't need to be secretive all of the time, right? Don't trust people who are like that. Don't trust teachers who are like that. Don't trust the teachers who have now somehow figured out something secret that no one else in the history of Christianity has ever figured out. It's amazing. They've solved the puzzle 2,000 years later. Everyone else had it wrong, and they, they got it. Beware. Beware. What else does he say? He says, look at their process. He also says, look at their fruit. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter number 7. He says, beware of false prophets which come in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Now, some of that's talking about their character, but some of that's also talking about their followers. If you want to see, is this person telling the truth or not, look, what do the people who follow them look like? What do they believe to be true? What do their lives look like? What, what, what do they attest to? Check out the fruit of their ministry. You can get away with, if you're a false teacher, you can get away with duct taping plastic fruit to a dead tree for a little while, but eventually people will figure that out. Look at the fruit. This week I did some, uh, some poking around 
on mormonism.org. Um, wouldn't recommend it, but uh, I wanted to go look. My wheels were spinning because I, w- I was thinking about this. I was remembering back to uh, when Mitt Romney ran for president. And if you voted for Mitt Romney or not, couldn't care less. But if you voted for him because he was a Christian, you got duped. Now, he would say, I'm Mormon, and Mormons are Christians, you know, but they're not. But I went, I went poking around the website. I wanted to see what's here. And man, it looked fantastic. Now, I, I know what Mormonism teaches. And I'm talking about, like, the, the normal Mormons. I'm not even talking about the crazy ones, right? I hate to put it that way, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm not even talking about, the, like, the 70 wives people. I'm, not those ones. Like, the mainline ones. I know that you teach that Jesus is a lesser God who was created. I know that you teach that he was the brother of Lucifer. I know that. But it ain't on the homepage. You know what's on the homepage? Are we Christian? Question mark. Yes. We are the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Jesus Christ is in our name. We believe in Jesus. We are Christian. We believe that he was Christ and that he was, he was appointed by God. I like that line. We believe that he was the son of God. Now, what they mean by son of God, what we mean by son of God is different. But we believe that he was the son of God. We're Christian. Come on. It is seductive, and it is sly, and it is slick, and it is meant to beguile people. But it is not Christian when you actually examine it. So what do you do? You look at them. Look at their principles. Look at, look at their, uh, uh, their, their process. Look at their fruit. Look at their produce. Then lastly, look at their precepts. This is what 1 John 4 and, and uh, 2 John 1 are all about. You look at their message and you look at their teaching. What do they teach? Not what do they lead with, what do they teach? Let me look at all of it. This is why as a church body, we put our full constitution and our full doctrinal statement right on the website where everyone can see it. It's not a secret. If someone wants to join the church, we tell you have to read this and you have to let us know if you have any questions about it. Like we need to make sure we're on the same page with this because those things are important. Those things are important. You look at what they teach. What do they teach about the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you can put all that together, you will be able to try the spirits. You'll be able to see why do they want to talk to me? What are they saying? What are the motives? What's the fruit? You look at that. You examine and You don't put your brain on a shelf. Soft heart, yes, not soft head. Thirdly, Christians are people that have the Holy Spirit who confirms the truth. Now, you're going to have to hang with me, okay? I know you're like, I already got enough for today, but there's a little bit more, and you're going to have to hang with me. This is one of the more complicated uh, portions of the whole book of 1 John. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, we read this, and you may have thought, what does that mean? Verse number 20 says, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. So the whole, that, honestly, that verse all by itself is befuddling on multiple fronts, okay? What is this unction? Who is the Holy One? And how do I know everything? Because I'm pretty sure I don't know everything, right? Now, if you take that and you lay that on top of uh, verse number 27, which is very, very similar, you start to have a fuller understanding of this. The anointing, so anointing is the same word as unction. It's translated differently. Unction means the process of anointing. Same word. The anointing which you have received of him, okay? So Unction and anointing, holy one and him. Those are the same things, they're synonyms. It abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things. All right, time out. This anointing kind of sounds inanimate. 
is now teaching me stuff? Huh, that's interesting. It teaches you of all things. It is truth. It is no lie. And even as, as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now I'm going to tell you simply put what this means. What this is talking about, and there's a lot of debate, but there's common consensus, and I agree with the consensus. This is talking about the Holy Spirit of God being given to you by Jesus and abiding in you. Now, it's not uncommon for anointing to be used of the Holy Spirit. We know in Acts chapter number 10, we see that Jesus, the verbiage is that he was anointed with the Holy Ghost at his baptism. Also, the verbiage on he teaches you all things and you know all things and he leads you into truth is completely in line with John chapter number 16 where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and he says that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will actually be the one who guides you into truth, who teaches you of all things, that you, you don't need any other man to teach you. Like it's, it's extremely similar verbiage. It would have been a lot easier if he just said, you have the Holy Spirit from Jesus and he's taught you everything you need to know about Jesus. Admittedly, that would be easier to understand, but that's what it means. And what he's saying is Christian people are people who have the Holy Spirit, and if you look at verse number uh, 27, I want to say, I'm sorry, 24, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. What he's trying to say is you have the Holy Spirit, you have the truth about Jesus. You've known this from the get-go. You don't need anything new. You don't need these people trying to seduce you. and They're coming up with these newfangled things about Jesus and who he is and who he wasn't and, and trying to twist the truth and, and teach you something different. You don't need anything different. Think about it. You have the truth. You have the gospel. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the resources you need, so don't be seduced by them. Don't be beguiled by them. You don't need to go find something new. Newer isn't always better. Sometimes newer is really, it's worse. You, truth doesn't go out of style. You don't have to get a new truth. Stick with it. Stick with the Holy Spirit. Stick with the truth that you've known. And we say as Christians are people that have the Holy Spirit, that have the truth. And it's interesting that he says that you, you know everything. Now what does he mean? He says the same thing in John 16. And in both instances, when John says that you know everything, or that you don't need any man to teach you, he does not mean literally all truth that could possibly be known in the whole world, you know it. If you're a Christian, you don't need anyone to teach you at work. I don't need a trainer because I'm a Christian, right? I don't need you to teach me A squared plus B squared equals C squared. I already knew that because I'm a Christian. Obviously, I know everything, right? I'm a walking dictionary and Google and Wikipedia all rolled into one. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you know all the truth about Jesus you need to know. There is no new truth about Jesus that you need. There isn't like another facet or another component or another layer or something else that's, that's there for, for you to get. You got everything that you need when it comes to Jesus. This is almost identical to Colossians chapter 1 and 2. You have everything that you need about Jesus. So remain in Jesus and abide in Jesus and stay in Jesus and don't let them move you away from Jesus. That's what he's saying. He says the Holy Spirit will give you that truth. The Holy Spirit even will lead you, he will abide in you and will lead you to abide in him, Jesus. He will promote Jesus. He will push you to Jesus. He will make the glory of Jesus shine more brightly in your heart and in your life. And appreciate those spiritual resources and don't think that you need more. Don't think that you're missing out. Don't think that the new age religion has something to offer and, oh, there's a component that, that I, I really must have. You got everything you need. Fourth and last. They remain. 
Christians are people who belong to a community with doctrinal guardrails. Christians are people who have soft hearts, but they don't have soft heads. Christians are people who have the Holy Spirit. Christians are people who remain. Now, I want you to underline these words, and we'll be done shortly. Verse number 19, they went out because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have, no doubt, underline this word, continued with us. Verse number 24, let that therefore abide in you. Same word, different translation, but same word. Let it abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. That which you have heard from the beginning shall, underline it, remain in you. Ye also shall continue, you can underline continue, all the same word. Verse 27, the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing teaches you of all things. It's truth, no lie. Even as it, as it hath taught you, ye shall underline it, abide in him. All the same word, all a major message. What is he saying? He's saying real Christians stick. They left they did not continue, they did not abide, they did not remain because they did not actually believe. They weren't Christian in the first place. But you abide, let the truth remain. The Holy Spirit abides in you. And because you have the truth and because you have the Holy Spirit, he ends verse 27, you will abide in Jesus. It's very similar to like a plant soil scenario. Is the plant in the soil or is the soil in the plant? Both. Is, is the Holy Spirit in me or am I in Jesus? Both. I have the truth and I have the Holy Spirit, so that will produce the last phrase of it, I will abide in him. And if you've missed everything else, don't miss this. That's the key. He's, he beats the drum. Abide, 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 remain, remain, remain. Remain where? Remain what? what? Remain in him. You have not just a place that you're meant to dwell. You have a person in, in which you're meant to dwell. The abode is Jesus. You remain in him. You stick with him. Let me put it this way. There is a sense to which Christianity has a lot of rules and regulations and commands. There are commands. They exist. But there is a sense in which Christianity is really kind of one big thing. Just love and remain in Jesus. And if you can get that right, all the other rules and regulations will fall into place. I'm not belittling those. I'm not saying you shouldn't know those. But I am saying that the core is to pursue Jesus in relationship with Jesus and remain and abide in Jesus. And I'll go so far as to put it this way. In my own limited experience, I have known a lot of Christians who knew doctrine. They, they memorized all the Iwana verses. They did sword drills in Sunday school as a kid. They, I mean, they, they could quote you the books of the Bible, and they could argue doctrine till the day was long. They knew it. But their character wasn't growing, and they didn't love people, and they were a mess spiritually. I've known a lot of people who had spiritual experiences, right? And we're talking about this experience they had, and I'm not negating those. John talks about we know that we know him. Knowing him is experiential. But they really didn't have a growing character, and they really didn't love people. I've never, I've never met a Christian who really believed what the Bible says about Jesus. They put their faith and trust in him. 
And their goal was to pursue Jesus and win Jesus and love Jesus and adore Jesus and grow in their relationship with Jesus. And their character was rotten and they didn't love other people. Not that their character was perfect or they love other people perfectly, but I've never met a Christian who just wanted to pursue and abide in Jesus and the character, the fruit, the love for others didn't come. That is the most important thing. That's the most important thing. If you want to memorize verses, I'm all for you. If you want to teach them to the kids in the wana, I'm all for you. If you want to know that you know him, absolutely I'm all for you. But Christianity isn't just being able to articulate doctrine. Christianity isn't a set of regulations and rules. Christianity isn't just exciting experiences or a matter of recipes, you know, one, two, three, do this and that'll happen like it's a piece of Ikea furniture. That's not what Christianity is. It's not mechanical. It's relational. And the question of the day is, are you pursuing relationship with Jesus? Are you wanting to know him? Are you wanting to abide in him? Are you wanting to love him? You say, okay, how do I do that? It's simple. How would you grow your relationship with anybody else? Time, right? Transparency, you would spend time with them. You would open up your heart to them. You would not just open up your heart, but you would listen to them. You would want to know their words and what they want and their desires. and their, You would listen well. It's that simple. Be open with them. Spend time with them. Pray. Open up his word. Talk to him. See if your relationship doesn't grow if you start to do that. So here's the takeaways. The end. I'm reading these four. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, appreciate a church that will take a stand, that won't compromise on the major truth claims of Christianity. I know that sounds self-serving, but it's the truth. Don't take for granted that our church or any other church is willing to say, look, there is truth and there is lies you, you, can, you cannot have it both ways. You have to believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Secondly, don't have a soft head. Okay? Be spiritually aware. Be on guard. Look for false teachers. Third, lean into the spiritual resources you have and appreciate them. The Holy Spirit, the, the gospel, be made of gospel granite. Don't, don't think that you ha- need something else. Don't underestimate that. Fourth and lastly, remain in Jesus. Abide in him. Pursue him love him, adore him. Pray with me. Father, thank you for allowing us to open up your word and to study just a little bit. Jesus, right now we want to tell you that we love you, that we adore you. Jesus, right now, uh, I, on behalf of our church, want to confess, we want to agree with you that you are the Christ, that you are Lord, that you are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You were God in the flesh. You lived a perfect life. You died for our sins. You substituted yourself for us. You were buried. You miraculously rose from the dead. And in power, you ascended to heaven where you're seated at the right hand of the Father. We confess you. We love you. We appreciate you. We want to worship you. We've done our best to do it in song this morning. We've done our our best to do it through study this morning. But right now, we just want to talk to you, and we just want to exclaim that to you, that you are good, that we don't need anything more than you, that we're not dissatisfied with you. Jesus, we understand that you are sufficient. 
May we abide. May we remain. Lord, I want to say personally that I know that I don't do this perfectly. I'm supposed to love you with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my soul all the time. And I don't. But I want to more. I want to know you more. I want my relationship with you to be better. I want to be close and clean. I want our relationship to be sweeter and deeper. And Lord, I pray for every member of this church that we would get to the end of 2022 and they would be able to attest to the fact that my relationship with Jesus is as good as it's ever been. May we be those people. Lord, I want to thank you for your truth. Thank you for not making it subjective, crazy, squishy, but for making it clear. May we stand on it, may we affirm it from this day forward. Jesus, we pray and we praise in your name. I want you to remain in the spirit of prayer. And if you are a Christian, I want you to praise the Lord. I want you to thank the Lord. I want you to take a minute. Tell him that you want to get to know him better. Tell him that you want to spend more time with him. Tell him that you want to abide, that you want to remain. If you're not a Christian, and by that I, I don't mean that you've called yourself a Christian or that you've been baptized. I mean you're actually a Christian. If you're not, you can put your faith and your trust in Jesus right now. I've, I've tried to make it as clear as I could this morning. Jesus came, God in the flesh, loved you and died for you. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you from your sins. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He died on the cross as a substitute. He was buried and he rose. And if you will believe on him, if you will confess with your mouth that he is Lord, if you will admit your sin and ask him to save you, he will save you. If you never have right where you sit, right now in this place, would you do it? Would you pray to him? Would you call out to him? Would you say, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Jesus, I believe in you. I am putting my faith and trust in you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Give me a home in heaven. And give me right standing with God. It's through you and you alone that I trust. Friend, it doesn't have to be exactly those words, but Jesus promises. If you will trust him, he will save you. Father, one more time we come thanking you for being a good God. Thank you that your mercies are more. Thank you that you would love us. Lord, we don't want to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, but we also are very thankful for the grace of God that you would, that you would save us, that you would redeem us, that you would clean us, that you would be merciful to us over and over and over and over again. Lord, may that produce love. May that produce obedience. May that produce allegiance in our hearts. We want to do our best to love on you this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, church family, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, we're going to dismiss with just a quick announcement video to let you know a couple things that are going on this week. Uh, as always, if you need something, we're here for you. Reach out. Uh, we'd love to talk. We'd love to pray. We'd love to help in any way that we can. But watch this video, and as soon as it's done, you can be dismissed.
Thanks for coming today. We pray that everything we do will bring glory to God and be a blessing to you and your family. If this is your first time visiting or maybe you just haven't been in a while, we want you to know that we are so glad that you're here. One of our pastors would love to meet you in our welcome desk after the service. And if you haven't already received it, we have a small gift and a Bible for you too. Thanks for coming. There will be an interest meeting today following the 1030 service for anyone interested in hosting a foreign exchange student. It'll be held in room 100 and refreshments will be provided. If anyone is interested in housing a student, please contact the church office. HBC has partnered with Lifesong, a Christian adoption organization, to help support and offset the costs that are associated with adoption. If you have been prayerfully considering adoption, please come to today's informative meeting. It'll be held in room 400. We hope to see you there. If you haven't heard yet, we are partnering with Tri-Life Organization again in raising money for children and families in need. Baby bottles will be available to pick up today in the lobby. Fill these up with cash or a check and return them to the same table no later than August 14th. Our next intro to Harvest class is coming up. It's on August 7th after the 1030 service in the cafeteria. Here you can learn about our mission and our church family and how you can be a part of it. Snacks and childcare will be provided. What happens when you really want to get to know more of the friendly faces you see at Harvest, but life is just so busy? Our Fellowship Sunday is what happens. It's on August 14th, and this is your chance. We invite you to break things up in your schedule a little bit. Get to know more of the church family by attending one of these hangout sessions. Here, we've got three options. There are softball and volleyball. There are in-home hangouts. Each of these is going to be running from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We hope that you'll jump in on the fun and get to know more of your church family in this really cool, fun way. Be sure to register on the church website. We hope to see you there. Remember to follow us on social media so that you can stay connected with all that's happening in and around our church throughout the week. Until next time, have an amazing and blessed week. We hope to see you next time.